Hola, 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 amigos, amigos, players, playerettes, doo-doo-dets, everybody in between. Welcome to episode 114 of Game of Crimes, the 114th attempt to silence us once again. And as I say, we shall not go quietly into the night, will we, Murph? That's right. We're not right. going anywhere. Not going anywhere. All right. It reminds me of that case with the guys from NYPD. Ah, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, yeah, hey guys, welcome back. Hey, we got some we got some good stuff for you, but as always, before we get to it, we got to do just some quick housekeeping. Hey, head on over to Apple, Spotify, hit those five stars. Really means a lot. Uh, guys, if you're on Stitcher, move off Stitcher. That's like officially closed now. So uh, I think you'll hear they've moved a lot of that stuff over to Spotify, but make sure you find us on your favorite podcasting platform and hit that subscribe button on it so you get these episodes delivered to you without thinking about it, without fail every Monday and Tuesday. Also head on over to our website, gameofcrimespodcast.com. Hey, we've got some interesting stuff coming up. We've got guests, you know, we've got books, quite a few books that we're working on. We've got some guests coming up, like a medical examiner. We've got some books from there. We've got CIA guy. We've got a guy who writes for Tom Clancy now, former U.S. Marshal, got his books. So we got a lot of good stuff coming up. So head on over there. Also follow us on that thing they call social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, Game of Crimes on podcast, Game of Crimes podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But head on over to patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We just got through recording a 911 episode that will that's interesting, but it will break your heart, make you mad and piss you off. Oh, yeah. I, oh, mm mm. I'm still, if I get a little bitchy on this intro, you'll know why, because we just finished it. And, but we don't want to give away the ending because you got to put your ears on. You got to be an uh, audio uh, Sherlock Holmes and figure out what went on. So, but we got a lot of good stuff. We got our Q&A coming out. You can't make this shit up. We did our Narcometer review, which Murph will never be allowed to recommend another movie for Narcometer review <laughs> without prior review. <laughs> That's the truth. I agree. Yeah. And, but we but we did just finish season three of Narcos, uh, where our buddy Chris Feisel, Dave Mitchell, they, they, they were the uh, DEA agents that helped bring down the Cali cartel. So we go through and we analyze season three of Narcos, yep. uh, the gentleman of the Cali cartel. So we got a lot of good stuff. So patreon.com slash game of crimes. Also head on over and find Facebook, type in game of crimes fans. And guess what? You will find the internal, the secret fan group run by our favorite mafia queen, the iron fist with the velvet glove, Sandy Salvato, who shall allow you entrance into the inner sanctum. Answer a couple questions. Get close. Come on, people. Give it a shot. Give it the old college try. You too may be on the inside where all the hilarity, jocularity uh, happens in a bubble of insularity. <laughs> okay. Larities. And that is, I tell you what, there's some funny stuff that goes on there. You really need to take a look at it. It's, it'll brighten your day. Right. And you know what else brightens your day, Murph? What's that? Uh, it's our next little section. And we call that? Well, guess what time it is, though. First of all, guess what time it is? Guess what time it is? What time is it, Murph? Uh, I'll bet it's time for Small Town, Town Police Splatter. And I forgot to tell you, hey, this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously, not ourselves. How do we know that? Because we do Small Town Police Splatter. Sorry, we got it backwards. It's like one of those endings at the end of a uh, pharmaceutical commercial. You know, the previous able to build Anyway, all right, Just let's get into you on this. Your toes, that's all. I might have had some caffeine today. Anyway, hey Murph, this story comes to us from Lancaster County, Nebraska. All right. You always want good citizens, right? Good citizen out there called in, told dispatchers, hey, somebody is driving a truck on the wrong side of the road, Highway 77 in Lancaster County, nearly ran him off the road. Mm -hmm. So driver, I mean, this, the, the caller gives uh, excellent description, says, hey, here's where it happened. Here's where the collision nearly happened. 
Uh, and so obviously they vector uh, deputies in, right? So uh, even though the guy's rattled, he, he's able to give them, um, you know, the calls that, so the deputy gets out there uh, and the deputy finds the driver and pulls it over. And he's the caller. He's the caller. <laughs> Deputy goes, do you know why I stopped you? Yeah, because I was on the wrong side of the road. Uh, the man responded, shocking the air up to a missed exit. Oh, okay. Well, you know, the problem is he had a blood alcohol content twice the legal limit. Oh, don't you just hate when that happens? Yeah, so he confessed to calling 911 on the uh, on himself when the deputy realized who he had in custody. Yeah, I did that because I thought somebody was on the wrong side of the fucking road, bro. And the deputy goes, yeah, but it turned out to be you. Uh, but it turned out it was you. He goes, yep, like a dumb fuck. He says this on body cam. Uh, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, we have a sectional Patreon called You Can't Make This Shit Up. This that is, is a perfect one for that. <laughs> hey, there's a truck almost ran me off the road. Yeah, unfortunately for you, Skippy, they were going the right way. You were going the wrong way. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> hey, Murph, I know at your age you're not on a dating app, right? But you've heard of those dating apps, right? Mash.com. You know, don't tell Connie. Tinder, yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. And what do they always say? You know, like, if you like somebody, you swipe right. I think it is. If you don't like them, you swipe left. Uh, have no idea. Something like that, right? So, <laughs> obviously, you have. Well, no, no, I have because I read the story. So, um, so, um, what do you think would be an innovative way to find a fugitive? Mm, I don't. Uh, are you using an old person? Uh, using a dating app? <laughs> this guy out of England. He's a million-dollar fraudster. Uh, he apparently swiped flight. You know, instead of right, he swiped flight. This wanted man, Wayne Parker, Parker successfully evaded authorities for nearly a year after committing a million dollars in fraud. But then the farmer from Suffolk, England, signed up for a dating app, mate. They were shocked to see cops. Coppers were shocked to see the convicted criminal uh, crop up after Parker created a profile on Match.com. So what happened was the 35-year-old scammer was found guilty a year ago of owing a whopping $970,000 to a supplier. He failed to appear in court in February for sentencing and was being hunted by police till no avail until the on-the-lamb Lothario, this is them writing that, not me, decided to start looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Since I mean, if he'd waited, what, seven years, the statute of limitations run out, he could have done it, but no. Since going on the run, Mr. Paca is known to have been using Match dating website. Uh, he's also been hiring cars in a bit, it is believed to avoid detection by the police. So he failed to appear in court. So he said he would return to Suffolk to face the consequences of his action, but so far has failed to head to, uh, has failed to do so. So it's only a matter of time before the law catches up. We would strongly urge him to hand himself in. Well, guess what? They didn't have to wait too long. Now, this frisky farmer, he'd previously been prosecuted for posing a serious risk of spreading bovine tuberculosis. He failed to dispose of farmed animal remains appropriately, was found to be moving large quantities quantities of cattle without following the proper process, as well as not keeping adequate records of the cattle. So uh, he was uh, handed a 12-week jail sentence and an 18-month suspension from doing business. That was then. Uh, but now he's going to go to prison for a million dollars in fraud, all because he had the urge. He got on the dating site. Oh, because he's stupid. He's stupid. <laughs> Speaking of stupid, Murph, this next one comes to us from Vero Beach, Florida, population 16,534. Salute. Salute. And that's a beautiful place. Yeah, so uh, Rashad McGriff, um, he, he, I tell you, I'll give it away, he went to jail. Uh, he has a lengthy rap sheet, currently on probation following conviction in March for possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. What kind of taunt 
could an ex-girlfriend send over a text that would cause this felon, this person now charged uh, with battery and burglary, um, what kind of taunt could send him over the edge? I'm going to guess it was a reference, a negative reference towards his private parts. She taunted him via text about having a little penis. <laughs> uh, investigators say that the 42-year-old woman was in her bed when McGriff got into the house, which he has no commitments to. He then punched the woman in the face and choked her, which then obstructed her ability to breathe temporarily. Uh, she was bleeding for the bridge of her nose. She told police that she texted McGruff a photo of somebody else's penis and advised Rashad he had a little one. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh Oh, oh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, well, the judge ordered McGriff to have no contact with the victim because he threatened her as well. Um, so he's been previously, the woman's previously sued McGriff three times for failure to pay child support. Uh, so they do have a hearing. So, um, it, hey, look, domestic violence is not funny. Uh, no. But, you know, sending a picture of somebody's junk and then following it up with a really small piece of junk and saying, you got a little one or something like that. Um, or no, actually, she sent him a picture. She sent a picture of apparently what she liked and said that you've got a much smaller one. I, I, did she call him shorty or stubby or, you know, yeah, we shouldn't make fun of that. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll just see if the evidence stands up in court. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you very much. Hey, well, let's. Uh, we're gonna. What we're gonna do is we're. I'm gonna talk about our next guest. We'll do the intro here because then when we get into the interview, we're not gonna do re-intro the intro. Right. But this one, uh, this one's uh, the one I, I helped arrange because I've known this person for going probably 18 years now. Uh, know her and her husband. And for those of you in law enforcement, when I say the name JD Buck Savage, if you've been around, except Murph, Murph had no idea until they started watching the videos. Mm-hmm. Legendary police trainer, used to train Caliber Press, uh, uh, street survival, um, has a him and his wife now, uh, we'll talk about, have a company, they, the winning mind, they do a lot of this. Now, Betsy Brantner-Smith, uh, Sergeant Betsy Brantner-Smith, retired after 29 years on the Naperville Police Department, which I used to be up in Naperville for some other stuff uh, in a prior life, um, actually had a TV series about her, a lot of good stuff, but now she is the spokesperson for the National Police Association, National Police and Murph, I would say we had a good, some of you folks, this, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be a controversial topic for some of you. You're not going to like it because, but we get into some, we, we, you know, Hey, we talk about the facts around what's happening right. with police right now, what's going on, the narratives and Betsy pulls no punches. Look with all of our guests, they have the absolute right to the first amendment. She gets to say what she wants to say mm-hmm. because it's her opinion. It's her voice. Um, but the other thing too is, uh, I, I'm not going to give it away. You're going to find out on the episode, but Betsy, Betsy has a right to say what she wants to say when you when you understand what she's been through and what she survived. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's an effective uh, – I remember times she used to get a hold of me and say, hey, I see you on Fox and CNN and all this stuff all the time. And she'd be jealous. I'm like – I sent her a text and say, hey, I see you on all these shows all the time. I'm jealous now. <laughs> I tell you what. Once you hear her talk, she's a feisty little lady. You can see why she was selected as the national spokesperson for the National Police Association. And as you'll hear me say at the end of the of the interview, she was honestly a breath of fresh air, uh, standing up in discussion, hot issues that involve the police culture, but she's just not giving an opinion. She's backing it up with facts and statistics, which is, you know, anybody can have an opinion, with, just like buttholes, we've all got them. But when you back them up with facts, there's a good position. So this was uh, honestly a, a great interview with Betsy. It was a pleasure to meet you. 
Uh, I will continue to watch JD Buck Savage videos here. They're funny. If you haven't seen them, just go, you go on YouTube and 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 uh, put in JD Buck Savage, and you'll see them. Uh, saw what a, drunk. You, if you want to know just, where Saw Drunk arrested same originator, <laughs> JD Buck Savage. I, you just know hanging out with these two, you're going to come out with tears streaming down your cheeks because they're going to keep you laughing. Oh man, Dave and I had a good time. Well, Murph, we can't get to it until I ask you the question that is on everybody's man, mind, mind, mad mind, on our mad, your mind, mad mind, our mad mind. Are you ready to play? The biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all. The unadulterated, unfettered, unrestricted game of crimes. Here we are. Yes, we are ready. So get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. We got Miss Betsy coming on. You're going to love this lady. For those of you in law enforcement out there, if you have never ever, which Murph never did. I am so disappointed. Never watched a J.D. Buck Savage video. I, There is no hope for you. And the person who made J.D. Buck Savage who he is today, Dave Smith, is Sergeant Betsy Brantner Smith. Betsy, we've been longtime friends. Welcome. First chance I get to get you on a podcast. So welcome, mi amiga. Hey, I am so excited to be here. This is going to be fantastic. I can't I, believe, I was, Betsy, is it true that Morgan is your friend because that would make one of you. <laughs> well, obviously, I have a thing for state troopers. So, um, oh. there you go, Murph. Oh, oh wait till Murph tells you what he calls them. What do you call them? Triple A, triple A, because they change flat tires and they go get people gas. <laughs> and they make so, most of the DEA seizure cases, as we've noticed. Without us, you know, you guys be content with just doing a little, you know, you know, hand to hand job every day. <laughs> yeah, see, these troopers talking about hand jobs. I mean, what can we say? <laughs> And, you know, as a city cop, I do have Thank some you. things to say about my brothers and sisters uh, in the state patrol. Absolutely. But uh, but I did I did uh, I did marry one. So did marry one. Well, hey, look, man, I was telling we go back like, uh, I don't know, 15, 18 years or something. I mean, back into the days of police one caliber press, some uh, training stuff. You guys were back then. So but, you know, let, let's talk about this. Cosa Nostra thing of ours. How did you get started in this? thing of ours, because you came out of Naperville, which by the way, we'll talk a little bit. They, they're tearing down some old buildings in Naperville. Um, but how, how did you get started in this thing called law enforcement? So I was 17 years old and a senior in high school. And uh, I had told my parents I wanted to be a cop and they, I don't think they really believe me. So my dad talked to the local sheriff. I grew up on a farm about two and a half hours west of Chicago. And he said, you got anything my kid can do so she can see what police works like. And they actually needed a dispatcher from 4 p.m. to midnight. So most of my senior year in high school, I worked five days a week. 4 p.m. to midnight, dispatching the local deputies and, yes, our local state trooper that was assigned to our county. And uh, and that's how I got started. I went to college, dispatched in college. Two weeks out of college, I find myself in the Cook County Sheriff's Police Academy uh, just outside of Chicago at age 21. Well, I yeah. thought you were about to say I found myself in the Cook County Jail. I was going to ask. That would have been a hell of a story, you know. Hey, but before we get that too far into it, but why did you always want to be a cop? What was it? Was it TV? Was it uh, relations, uncles, aunts? What was it? No, I had no family in law enforcement. Uh, I'm a kid of the 70s, and— uh, 
Uh, I know uh, young people listening to this will be shocked, but we only had three television channels. And uh, most of the television in the late 60s and early 70s was cop shows. So I watched a lot. I watched too much TV. That's the answer. That's why I'm a cop. And so I wanted to be Adam 12 and Dragnet and... And, uh, you know, my big plan, of course, was to go to Los Angeles because that's apparently where every cop was at that time. And uh, I wanted to go be a cop in uh, L.A. But, yeah, I watched too much TV. But you didn't you didn't want to be a chippy, did you? Oh, gosh, no. There you go. <laughs> did, but, okay, so let me ask this. Did you watch Miami Vice? Oh, I was Miami Vice. Yeah. I and th- when that show came out, I was a young narc in the Chicago metro area. I was on a state police task force by then, and uh, and we all thought we were Sonny Crockett. Damn right. <laughs> Except the reality sets in. You're not driving a Lamborghini. You're not fl- having the flashy cars and the jets and everything else. It's it's shit work. Yeah, I was driving a uh, a used Chevy Camaro and. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite an assignment, but yeah, we, I even had the Miami vice, um, the, the tape, the music. And before we'd go do a buy bust, we'd, we'd all put those in our, our tape players in the cars and play the music and, and all that. And some of the guys, I, I worked with all men, there were no women. And, uh, and of course they wore the suits and the t-shirts and all that. <laughs> You know, I, I was in Miami in the late 80s, and we did the same thing. We recorded that music, a lot of Phil Collins music, and that was the that was to get you amped up for the raid. Oh, it yeah. absolutely was. I mean, that was a, I, I, I was just talking to my husband the other day, and I said, I said, is Miami Vice on Netflix or something? Because I'm kind of at that age where I want to, I want to relive my youth a little bit, and I think I want to watch some Crockett and Tubbs. Hey, there pro tip, do not watch the movie. We did a Narcometer oh. review of the movie. It is terrible. Oh, That's my what God. I heard. Terrible. <laughs> sucks. Oh, uh. what, but, 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 so, but what, where did you go to college at, and what did you study? I went to Western Illinois University. It's out in the country in in central Illinois, about four hours from Chicago. And I studied law enforcement administration. And it was, you know, I, I got to college in fall of 77. And, uh, um, you know, there there weren't a lot of women in the law enforcement program back then. Illinois was a little behind the times in, in bringing in women into law enforcement. And... Um, so, uh, you know, I, but I did dispatch, you know, for the college police department. And, uh, one of my professors had told me, you know, take some police tests cause you're going to fail, uh, multiple tests before you ever get hired. And, uh, so I, I took a police test and back then it took six months to go through the whole testing process. And, uh, they were hiring four cops and, uh, there were about, a thousand people commit uh, that were competing for uh, four spots, and I got number four on the list, and uh, and they hired me. Why did that professor think you were going to fail so many tests? What the hell's wrong with him? He told everybody that he told everybody that you know this is going to be very you know wasn't they weren't the best back then you know this is going to be very difficult and you're going to fail and all this so take a bunch of them and this is the first police test and the only one I ever took and uh, um, so I was uh, you know I was really excited to be and it was funny because they the city called me and said okay, you're going to, we want to hire you in December. You start the police academy in January. And I said, I got a semester of college to finish. I I can. And they said, well, take it or leave it kid. 
So I actually left college before graduating and had to go back later on, long before online college, and finish my degree. Yeah. Sounds very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, was it culture shock for you, or had you been into the big bad city of Chicago and Cook County before you knew what it was like? I had I had been to Chicago. My mother, who was a school teacher with a couple of master's degrees, took us into the city once a year or so to uh, go to the museums and to chamber music con- con- uh, concerts Back and when things you like still that. Could and not get robbed at gunpoint on the streets. <laughs> it was so safe, and uh, you know we went to some Cub games and Cubs games and things like that. But Were I had never still losing as bad back then. <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. We love our Cubs. You, you know, we know we're going to lose, but of course, don't forget, I've got a t-shirt that says that I should have wore it, that, uh, you know, we've won it twice. But, uh, but you know, here's the thing. We, uh, I, I really had never lived anywhere where there was even a grocery store with more than two aisles. I mean, I was, um, I was a very naive farm girl raised by to a lovely Christian people who told me that um, if you can do anything as long as you just work really hard and follow the rules. And uh, so that's how I went into it. That didn't necessarily work out that way. But, uh, but yeah, I was very naive and I was living by myself. I had no relatives there. It was me and my dog. And, uh, and I had never really, I had never seen the Cook County court system, the jail, the academy, any of that. So what could go wrong, right? So oh my goodness. little farm girl in the big city. So what was it like going through the academy? Um, can I say bad words? This yeah. is a family not friendly part. If you okay. want to fly the F-bomb lady, fly the flag. No, I just, I had to. So I went to the academy. I started on Monday. There were four women, four of us on Monday. By Friday, I was the only one left. I was the only one who hadn't walked out. Why? And because we, we were just hazed so badly, but it wasn't just the women. It was, uh, they didn't want women, black guys, Hispanic guys, or short guys. So, uh, you know, we all kind of formed a little group and, uh, but the other three women left. So Friday I'm sitting, my last name was Brantner at the time. I'm sitting in the front row of the police academy and the guy running the academy, uh, comes out, points his finger in my face and says, you should not be in the front row of my police academy. You should be on your knees giving me a blowjob. Oh. And I, 21-year-old farm girl Betsy, had no idea what to say about that. I didn't know if it was illegal or wrong or I had no idea. So, I, of course, I just sat there and, you know, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And, uh, um, so yeah, that was my first week in the police academy, but I'll tell you several years ago when I was in narcotics, he was actually running, uh, this same guy was running the lab where we took all our big drugs. And, uh, I, I, I actually sat him down and I said, uh, he's deceased now. I said, Don, what the hell, you know, why would you talk to us that way? And I mean, this was all through the, out the academy. And he said, you know, Betsy, that was really bad. He said, but we were told. This was the first academy class where they did not have height, weight requirements and things like that. Again, this is January of 1981. And uh, and he said, you know, uh, we were told to treat you as badly as you would be treated by criminals 
on the street. And I, I just laughed and I said, you know, Don, I've never actually had anybody I ever arrested ask me to give them a blowjob. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just have to, I have to disagree with your tactics there. And, uh, uh, we actually ended up being, being wonderful friends, but, uh, well, but yeah. in this day and age, if you did that in this day and age, Ooh, boy, oh, I would right? only, pay, I once in a great while, I'll tell this story to my students and, and they're like, you, you own the Academy, right? You got a million dollars. You're, you're, why are you even working? Aren't you rich? And you just laugh. It's 1981. So no yeah, different place in time. I started in 1982. Yeah. And we only had, uh, started off in the police department, but when I went to the state patrol, we only had the third female since 1937. And that was 1984. Oh, it yeah. was a, it was a different time. I'll tell you what. Yeah, it really, it, it really, it truly was, but you know, I persevered and, uh, uh, you know, had a wonderful 29 years. Tw- how did, so, so you started off in Cook County, right? But- I actually DuPage County is where my, my, uh, uh, city was, it's the next County out from cook in uh, the Chicago Metro area. But I was always with the, I don't say it very often, but I was with the Naperville, Illinois police department. And, uh, and the reason I don't say it is, uh, um, to this day, I do a lot of media now and my chief gets, uh, occasionally gets the hate mail and hate phone calls. <laughs> Tells with the job, <laughs> demanding no, that he get rid of me. No hate mail from this, folks. Just be <laughs> kind, be courteous. Uh, right, but yeah, but but that's interesting because uh, in a previous life too, I was an executive at Bell Labs. They had a facility out there in Naperville, which they're tearing down now. Oh, that breaks my heart. I made so much money directing traffic at Bell Labs. Uh, it was an overtime detail, and uh, uh, yeah, I I have whole rooms full of furniture bought with bell labs money some of it could be mine sorry again there goes the freaking tree trimmers they they want to do this shit right when we get started on a podcast so i'll go back on mute here a second yeah i don't hear it either ah well i i do pisses me off anyway i'll edit it out later so hey but but talking about you though so um tell us about your rise through the ranks so um you obviously start off on patrol but what what kind of assignments did you do what kind of things did you do and what was the funnest thing you did Oh gosh. So, um, so of course I started in patrol and, uh, and then, uh, I got hit by a car inside of a convenience store. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you got hit by, you were inside a convenience store and a car decided to park inside I, the convenience store. Yes. I got run over inside of a, in Chicago, we call them white hem pantries, but it was a like a Seven Eleven. In all of our in all of our episodes of all the people who've been injured in the line of duty, this is a first. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I I get I get hit by a car, and uh, so they take me to the hospital, and I am I am on the gurney, and I'm asking the paramedics to wait because I told my FTO, my field training officer, I said, "Let me do the report. I can do the report. I'm okay," and uh, because I was afraid. They were going to fire me. You weren't even out of training. You were still writing with an FTO. I was at the end of FTO, and uh, and I was just petrified they were going to fire me. So I'm like, let me do the report. I don't want them to think I'm weak, you know. So, so what was the problem with the driver? <laughs> drunk? Old? Sixteen. Um, front wheel drive vehicle hit the wrong pedal. Panicked. Hits the little cop in the inside the store. <laughs> and uh, and now picture me. I look at this point in my life. I look like I'm about fourteen. I literally went to 
uh, one of my first calls where I, you know, the FTO held back and I went up to the door to take a burglary report. And the lady looked, took one look at me, went back, called the police department back and said, uh, send me a real cop. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I was young looking. My uniform was too big because they didn't have women's uniforms then. I mean, I just, it was a crap show. And, um, so anyway, they, I get hit by this car. They take me to the hospital and they, the doctor tells me, Oh honey, uh, you're just going to have to retire because you're, you're injured. And I, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, what, you know, again, I'm 21 years old or I think I was just 22 at this point. And, uh, so they kind of bandage me up because they're going to have to do multiple different things to fix me back up. What were the extent of your injuries? I had lots of knee and leg damage, um, but it was all structural. So um, they were able to stabilize me and it was all waist down stuff. And um, so they were able to stabilize me and they send me home and, and they, I've already got, you know, workers comp has contact me and HR and they're trying to, what we would all call now pension me out. And, uh, like this is all I've ever wanted to do for a living. So I went to the library and I used something called a microfiche. Remember it's 1981, no oh, yeah. internet. And I start looking up old newspaper articles about uh, Chicago sports figures who had been injured. And I ran across an article about a doctor who had put Gar Gary Fensick from the Bears back together and put him back on the field, you know, for him to eventually win the Super Bowl. Thank you very much. And uh, I, I contacted that doctor, explained my problem. And he goes, we can fix you up. Not a problem. So that was something called sports medicine. And that was very new at the time in 1981 in the Chicago area. So through a series of uh, surgeries, I was, I was able to go back to full duty. The reason I'm telling you that is a great deal of my light duty time was in investigations. So I, I became a detective kind of by default. And, uh, and then, uh, after that, and I came back to full duty. And then they, in Illinois, we had a system at the time where the state police would run narcotics task forces in various areas. areas. And uh, so I went to a county task force, then I went to a state police task force uh, as an undercover. And uh, I got borrowed by multiple agencies. Well, hell yeah, because uh, you look 14 years old. No exactly. way this lady's a cop. Right. Exactly. I could buy, I bought dope from somebody I had just arrested for DUI like 90 days earlier. Um, That's a rocket and, scientist. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I could, and I didn't, again, I grew up, I was so innocent. And I, they're like, go in this bar, kid, buy some cocaine. I mean, I didn't really understand what cocaine was, except that I'd obviously learned about it in the academy. I had no training on how to be an undercover, on how to do surveillance, on how to buy drugs from people. So I would walk into these biker bars, all cute and adorable, and go, oh, you know, may I please buy some cannabis sativa, please? <laughs> you know, do you have any cocaine? And... uh you know, it was just, it was ridiculous. They were throwing dope at me. So for four years, I bought stupid amounts of dope. Again, in my head, I'm Sonny Crockett, except I'm a girl. And uh, so I did that for four years. That was, that was a blast. It was craziness. And, did you ever uh, get scammed on any of the buys where they sold there's something other than what you wanted? Um. Well, 
So, yeah, I mean, I got shot at and gun, you know, knives pulled on me, guns. I Obviously, about every third dope deal, they want to rape you or have sex with you. Um, I got very... And, and you, know, have, you didn't think giving a blowjob was going to come back into the equation. Know, right? right? Exactly. I could have gotten way more dope. Um, but that was the thing. So I got very good at talking about, um, uh, you know, oh, man, I can't. I can't, uh, uh, you know, I can't have sex with you because my old man will beat the shit out of me, you know, stuff like that. I mean, stuff that was not a part of my world at all. I just, um, you know, I was a real, I was really good at lying. I was really good at being undercover and, uh, and I'll never forget. I went and, uh, we did this multi-task force deal where we were, we were going to do a really big buy bust on a very high level cocaine dealer in Illinois who also worked for the secretary of state's office. It's Illinois. And, uh, um, Hey, hold on a sec. Speaking of that, how many governors in Illinois have gone to prison out of the last six? Uh, I want to say at least four, four, Um, you know, and I'm hoping the current one ultimately goes to prison, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, and you know what? In Illinois, we don't discriminate. We, uh, you know, our Republicans go to prison. Our Democrats go to prison. You know, all all God's governors in Illinois go to prison. Blagojevich did it different than everybody else, man, with the hair and the and the brush and everything. And oh my God, yeah, he's yeah. Oh, but uh, but yeah. So we do this this big. You know, we're going to do this big buy bus. We're going to seize multiple vehicles, a condo, all this kind of stuff. And I so I go in. And we had gotten word from an informant that the this person who worked for the Secretary of State n- knew our identities because the Secretary of State issued our fake driver's licenses and stuff as undercovers. And um, so they asked us, you know, do you want to do you want to go in? Do you still want to do it or you want to nut it? Well, I'm like, no, man, this would be the coolest thing I ever do in my life. I want to go in and finish this deal. So. We go in and I'm with a guy from another task force and uh, who, you know, we're posing as a couple. So I go in and there's this woman, this big high up deal in the secretary of state. And I've got, I've got a, about $250,000 in a purse in my, in my, uh, you know, I'm shouldering and we walk in and there's all, she's got her thugs there and all that. And I'm like, I just start crying and I'm sobbing, ugly crying. And she goes, what? As an act or. (laughs) Yes. You know, I just, I started thinking about, I'm literally knocking on the door thinking, uh, I hope that my parents know to bury me in my uniform because that will mean a lot to me and things like that, even though I hadn't worn a uniform in a couple of years. And, uh, so I start crying and the more I, you know, the more I start thinking about what could happen, the, the harder I cry. And she goes, what's the matter? I go, I can't say anything in front of these men. So she takes me into the kitchen. I sit down and I weave this whole story about how this son of a bitch, my partner, um, he's cheating on me. And I think he's going to take the money when we do this. And I don't know what to do and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, sweetheart, that bastard. And uh, she goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, she goes, I'm going to give you, and she's got her kilo of Coke or whatever. And, and, uh, and she goes, we're going to do the deal you and me, and you're going to go out the back door and my guys are going to shake him down. You want us to rough him up? Like, yes, he's such a <laughs> bastard, you know, and, I'll and, and that's what we did. We did the deal in the kitchen. I hit the panic button 
everybody comes in and afterwards he's just looking at me like, what was that? And I'm like, I I didn't know what to do. I was just winging it, but it all worked out. That's probably improvisation. Well, would have would have been worse had the panic button not worked and your partner's oh, getting his ass beat by those no, guys. Hey, it would I know a lot had God was truly with me that day as always. Oh, that's funny. And uh, but you know, so that was a lot of fun. And I came back, uh, worked patrol for a while, became a field training officer, um, with juvenile officer, did kid sex crimes and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, I got promoted to sergeant and ran a bunch of different stuff in patrol. I ran the crime prevention unit and bike patrol and, and, uh, and all that. And, uh, and I'm having this parallel career to all of this as a trainer and an author and, and all that. And, uh, in the meantime, I had taken, I was taking the Lieutenant's test and, uh, uh, I was pregnant. I got pregnant at the beginning of that process. So I hid my pregnancy, I was a midnight shift patrol sergeant at the time. I hid my pregnancy for six months. Jeez. So you can imagine, you know, they're all, because I'm pretty small, and they're all looking at me. Fortunately, my kid was small. Yeah, yeah, wait a minute. How? How did you hide it for six months? Did you say, look, just Dunkin' Donuts, just had one, two Krispy Kremes? <laughs> How the hell did you hide that, you being as small as you are, for six months? Well, and that was the thing. I kept borrowing bigger pants. Uh, from different people, there was a, uh, you know, I had a couple of friends I had told and in, on my agency as a sergeant, you're not necessarily a first responder unless it's a big emergency. So we would go to back up our people, but we were never assigned calls. So, I mean, I could, I was literally, I was driving around in my patrol vehicle, uh, in the big, in the early times I was doing a lot of parking and puking. And, uh, but then as I got bigger, I would, I would, uh, I'd get in the car, undo my gun belt, undo my underbelt, undo my pants. And, uh, and then I would drive around until I had to go back somebody up or whatever. And I kept, again, I kept praying, please, God, don't let somebody crash into me because they're going to come to pull me out of this car and my pants are going to be undone. (laughs) Well, Hey, pro tip, uh, make sure you stay out of convenience stores too, Betsy. (laughs) Right. And when your child was born, was it claustrophobic? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I always joke that she, she's actually here visiting me. I always joke that she has safari land imprinted on her forehead. (laughs) And, uh, uh, fortunately she was very, she was very tiny baby. She was a little over five pounds, but, uh, but no, people kept looking at me like, you know, Hey, Sarge, lay off the donuts, you know, kind of a thing. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and I was pretty bitchy because it's midnight. I'm studying for the lieutenant's test. You know, I'm trying not to look fat. And, and, uh, so when I, when I, uh, when I finally went up and told the captain that I was pregnant, um, I went immediately went back down to the roll call room and apologized to my whole shift. Sorry. I've been such a bitch, you know? And, uh, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, I got, you know, ultimately I came up on the lieutenant's list and at that time, I was working for Caliber Press. I was uh, teaching the street survival seminar, things like that. And uh, I turned it down. And um, that unleashed a crap storm that I did not anticipate in my organization. And then all of a sudden, I found myself back in patrol, totally coincidental. And uh, and that's where I finished out the last six years as a patrol sergeant. Well, I will tell you, uh, let me speak to one thing about the Caliber Press. Uh, there was a sheriff's, actually, lieutenant. Um, when I was a trooper, he went through the caliber press training. And I will tell you to this day, it saved his life. And here's why. 
he was, and this is a weird story too. So at the law enforcement center, the jail was on the second floor. The police department sheriff's office shared the first floor. And then the municipal court and some other court stuff, district court was actually, I should say district court traffic division where they held preliminary hearings was in the basement, uh, in the basement floor. Also, that's where they made the food for the jail, uh, law enforcement officers that we had lockers and stuff to work on, but that was before they started securing everything. So they, this one guy that had been on a 72 hour mental hold was released because they couldn't keep him any longer. The court said, hey, he's not a problem. So between the second floor and the basement, he he disrobes everything except his shirt. He is naked except for a shirt on. He goes into the bathroom where this lieutenant was, and the lieutenant was taking a number two. Uh, and But one of the things he did, he kept his weapon with him. And this guy starts going nuts and starts kicking in the stall door and it finally got to the point, what, what do you do? Your pants are down around your ankles. What? The guy's kicking in the door. He gut shoots him. And I mean, shit, you talk about literally shit hitting the fan. It's like, but but guess what he had just finished? He had just finished about six weeks before that, the Caliber Press street survival course. Mm-hmm. Wow. And wow. had he not done that, you know what he normally did? He went to a locker, put his gun in there, and then uh, took a crap. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. That is so see that I took my first street survival seminar in 1985. Dave Smith was one of the instructors and it was a three day class. It was very intensive. Not Dave Smith, J.D. Buck Savage. (laughs) I am Mrs. J.D. Buck Savage. And uh, but this is before I, uh, you know, had ever met him. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, this was so amazing, this program. And it, it I was a narc then and it changed everything. Um, that I, I did as a, as a cop. And, uh, um, you know, I was so, I was so grateful, of course, to have the opportunity to teach it, you know, decades later. Well, you'll need to explain to everybody who J.D. Buck Savage is, because I just learned right before we started this interview. <laughs> I am ashamed. I got to tell you, too, Betsy, I am ashamed that he did not know this before we got on air. I, I made him watch videos while you were logging in. <gasps> I love it. Yeah. My 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 husband, my wonderful husband, he, uh, you know, he was a state trooper. He was with uh, the Arizona Department of Public Safety, and um, he ran he ran the skills and proficiency at the academy. Uh, he was a lieutenant, and he actually left the state police to uh, work at a place called the Law Enforcement Television Network (LETN). Again, old cops know what that is, and it was kind of a kind of a cable news for cops kind of a thing, satellite based. And um, he got that job because when he was at the academy. He created this character called Buck Savage, J.D. Buck Savage. And you can, anybody listening, just Google it or go on YouTube and you can, uh, you can see him. But he, it's all very science-based. Dave, Dave is a very sciencey guy. He did a lot of research and, and uh, discovered that, you know, if we can evoke some sort of emotion in you as a student, whether it's laughter or, or crying or whatever, you will retain the information uh, en- exponentially better. So he developed this little character. He used to do it in the classroom for the recruits. And then he eventually put it on video. And, uh, and of course, his director hated it. And, you know, he always tells the story that he was number two on the sergeant's list when he did Buck Savage and after the director saw it, he was 42nd on the sergeant's <laughs> list. 
And uh, but but ultimately they got a new director and it went viral. Now, viral in 1980 and 81 was a lot of people asked for a copy of the VHS tape. Google it, kids. You don't know what that is. But um, so it's it to this day, it is uh, it's international. Um, And uh, but then he he Caliber Press noticed him and he was the first law enforcement instructor for Caliber Press. And of course, now we as you know, we have our own company. But he did. He started the video unit at Police One. He's done a lot of video and writing for Police One. And he still writes the back page of Police Magazine. Um, he's just a he's a legend. And uh, and he was my my mentor. I thought one of the best videos was Watch the Hands, because to your point, that is hands down, no pun intended, one of the most critical things. So many people want to watch everything else, but it's watch the hands. And he did it in such a funny way that, and Steve was laughing too, because we've talked about these reports before, saw drunk, arrested, same. It was such a caricature, such a over-the-top stereotype. Well, there I was in my mobile crime-fighting platform. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never, there's one of them. The first one that he did, it takes place at a, a convenience store, a Circle K. And uh, and the convenience store is getting robbed while he's talking stop about safety. Rob. Yeah, yep. the stop and rob. The 7-Eleven, the Circle K, the stop and rob. And uh, I'll tell you, after I first saw that in the early 80s, um, I never pulled up to a convenience store again without parking properly checking out where was my clerk was my clerk standing up did they look happy you know checking out all you know scoping everything out and it's funny to this day dave gets emails and phone calls from people who say you know hey me and buck caught a armed robber last night you know and uh um it's so cute and it's it's you know he gets recognized separately as buck savage and as Dave Smith from Caliber Press or Dave Smith from Police One, and uh, and so it's and it's funny because occasionally now we'll go to an event, um, to a training event or whatever, and uh, and we'll have young people come up and go, "Where's Buck Savage?" Well, Buck Savage is seventy-one years old, kids, people age, you know, and uh, you know, it's it's the same thing with me. You know, I did, uh, you know, before I retired from April, I did a reality TV show. And, uh, and I'll have people, well, where's, where's Betsy Smith? I'm like, people age, they, girls change their hair, you know, all of that stuff. So when, in his videos, was that his real hair or was that a wig? He has that hair and that mustache to this day, except wow. it's gray. It looks like mine, but, uh, no, he's one of those guys that, you know, and he's got the, got the cop mustache and he's got the oh, good hair and, and the porn stash, man, still from the seventies. I won't let him shave it. You know, you know, Betsy, well, I'm not going to ask me. why, but we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> my wife and I have been married 39 years. We dated four years. She's seen me without a mustache one time. And she said, don't ever do that again. Exactly. <laughs> That when Dave shaved the mustache, I'm like, you got to How long? How long will that take to grow back? You know. And uh, no, he's gonna. Our youngest daughter's getting married, and I just asked her a couple of days ago. I go, do you want Dave to just be mustache, goatee, full beard? What do you want? It's up to you. Because he's not only gonna walk her down the aisle, he's gonna perform the ceremony. So, no, nope. he's Ooh, gonna do it with the stash. Yeah, he's yeah. a. He's also a. He's a man of many talents, Dave Smith. 
Wow. Hey, do you were you with us at IECP those years ago? You remember when Dave and I did the Hans and Franz thing? Yes. <laughs> it was such a spur of the moment thing. I go, I'm Hans, and I looked at him, and he just picked it. He goes, I'm Franz, and we're here. Yeah, to pump you up. You know, yeah, the little gully man. I was going to arrest him. Yeah, but the, you know, we had <laughs> that was a great thing about Dave. But that's the whole point. If you had fun, people remembered it. Nobody wants to be exactly PowerPoint of thirty-seven bullet points. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, death by PowerPoint. He he just did a talk two days ago for uh, a, a civilian group down here and a conservative group about it's called it's called the uh, the history of freedom. And he's a you know he's well you know Morgan he's a freaking yep. genius you know. And uh, he came and he's got a PowerPoint that he put together and it's all all it is is photos and a couple of videos and he for an hour and a half spews more information uh, from a historical perspective than most people got in their whole four years in high school. And, uh, you know, he's still that way. He just, he has, you know, I don't remember the name of a single professor I had in college and he remembers, you know, history facts and dates and people. And he's just amazing. See, that's the way I do presentations anymore. No more bullet. You facts, no. tell, story, sell, put a picture up there. And the thing about it too is depending on the audience, I can change my story, use the same picture, but I don't, nobody, you get people reading bullet points on a presentation. That's all they're going to do. Death you by know, PowerPoint. Yeah, tell me a story. Well, but let's talk about that. Let's rewind that a little bit because I remember seeing that and I didn't realize it was you back then. But um, tell us about how did you get, how did they come about putting you on television on the mean streets of Naperville? <laughs> um, yeah, this is a crazy story. So um, there was a, uh, uh, Dave and I taught at a police conference called DT at Sea, Defensive Tactics at Sea. And it was the brainchild of a guy named Roy Bedard, who's a uh, now a PhD expert witness out of Florida. But, you mean, um, mean like SEA, like at, at Sea? Yeah, yeah. It was a police conference, police training conference on a cruise ship. Now, I know that it, first that sounds insane, but if you go on a cruise on the off season, it's a heck of a lot cheaper than staying at a hotel. And so uh, it, Roy put this together and Dave and I, Dave was like the keynote and I did some training and, and all that. So anyway, one of the other uh, keynotes was uh, Sheriff John Bunnell. I remember him and he was the guest host for that, for another television series. Yeah. So he, so Sheriff John Bunnell, you know, very well connected in Hollywood. <laughs> So I happened to be seated next to him at dinner and uh, uh, every night. And so we started uh, talking about, you know, different, you know, and this was before the police women of, you know, television shows. So he proposed a reality show uh, involving me. Now, again, at this time, I'm a, uh, I think I was a patrol sergeant or I might have been a detective sergeant. I'm teaching for Calvert Press. I'm writing. I'm very high profile, and you know, in our little tiny police world, and um, and he said, you know, you have a great camera presence, blah blah, and uh, so he introduced me to a guy named Adam Reed, who is, uh, uh, if anybody's interested in Hollywood things, Google Adam Reed. He's got a big production company. He's done a ton of great reality TV, and he's a super nice guy. And uh, so Adam wanted to follow me. And I said, no, that's boring. You know, you don't want to follow me around. And uh, I said, what if we do a 
an ensemble show. We had about 20 women at the time on uh, Naperville PD. And, uh, and so we went through, we jumped through all the hoops, which it was a lot of hoops. If, as you can imagine, attorneys involved, city council approval, you know, all these things. And, uh, but then in 2000, uh, I think it was 2007, uh, they came, filled a, filmed a pilot in the summer in Naperville. And we were, we were, you know, and the great thing about being a Naperville cop is it's a large suburb, um, lot going on, but we're not getting shot at every five minutes. So it's a safe place for the crew and things. So, uh, we had, our crew was almost entirely from cops. And, uh, so we, they filmed this, uh, pilot and the network bought it. And it was the parent company of the biography channel at the time. And, uh, and so the network bought the show and so they said, we're going to come back in November and start filming. And we're like, November, November's going to suck. You know? And in <laughs> Cook County and DuPage in, in November. And so they're like, now this is what the network wants. So they come back. It was one of the worst winters. It was, it was you know, 2008, 2000, or 2007, 2008, I think. It's one of the worst winters in the Midwest that we had. And so we had to kind of create some different things, but they did embed with us for about five months. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was a fascinating time. Um, but you know, it's, it, it's very challenging when you have two cameras, a boom mic, a PA and a producer all following you around. And, uh, uh, it was uh, it was an interesting time, but but it was it was very, it's called Female Forces. You can f- still find it. It is on. They run weekend marathons of it. I mean, th- you know, it's it. We wrapped it in uh, 2009, I think, is when it actually came out, and it is still incredibly popular. And I get every class I teach. Excuse me. <coughs> somebody comes up and says. Were you on in a, in a reality TV show? And I'm like, yeah, because they hear my voice because I don't look like I looked back then. And uh, yeah, it was fascinating. Dave's on it. You can see Dave and I did our anniversary dinner. My daughter was on it multiple times. And Very cool. uh, yeah, it's crazy. Well, you, that, see, we used to call that the cops phenomenon because you could pick up, you could watch people, they would be on cops. And they'd pick up bad habits and they try and emulate them on the street. Like you really can't just throw a guy up against the car and start emptying his pockets out. There has to be a little thing we call at least reasonable suspicion for the stop and probable cause for the arrest. But you'd see these guys just going through the pockets. You're like, where the hell did you learn that? What was on an episode of Cops last week? Dude. (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, we were... Um, you know, Naperville's a very by the book kind of a kind of an agency. And it was fascinating to me because they when they first proposed this, you know, after we got all the approval <clears throat> and I said, now, how do you because I didn't know how do you get all these people that you're arresting and that, you know, are fighting and all that? how do you, you know, like, don't you have to get their permission? And they the producer said, oh, yeah, we have to they all have to sign a waiver. And I'm like, no one is going to sign a waiver in Naperville. You know, when you're going to, we would go into these million dollar houses with, you know, on a domestic and these people, I'm thinking these people are never going to let, they would let the whole crew in. They would sign waivers. They would, I had no idea. And of course, remember, this is kind of 
right when social media is starting to come out and things like that. I had no idea about the human appetite for attention. I was blown away. People, you know, here we are at their worst moment and they're like, yeah, I'll sign your waiver. I get to be on TV. Great. My hand, my hands are behind my back, but if you can slide that paper over, man, I'll just scratch out a quick signature. That is what they did. And we had, I would, I, I arrested a couple of, couple of teenagers for something. I don't remember. They were burglarizing a car or something. So I got them both in handcuffs and I'm waiting for, cause I'm a sergeant. I'm waiting for an officer to actually come and do the paperwork and stuff. And, uh, and the, these guys are like, are, are, you know, are you, are we going to be on TV? I'm like, maybe. And, uh, so they start doing a, they're in handcuffs. They start doing a rap routine. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, man, you, you guys are pretty talented, you know? And they're like, yeah, we're going to get discovered, you know? I'm like, okay. <laughs> the way you want, pal. <laughs> I got to tell you, my funny cop story didn't even involve me. One of the guys on our agency, but the Kansas City, Kansas area. So there's Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas. Well, some guy started in Missouri. Guy, you know, stole a pickup truck, like a little Ford Courier, put some tools in there, and then he's driving into Kansas. The chase is on, and tools are falling out. Shit's going on. Well, this guy comes down, gets off the road. Goes down like a dirt road area. It's like a ballpark area. Well, there's this fence, like the logs there that have the steel cable, so he can't go anywhere. So he kind of crashes into that. The cops crew is there. Everybody's out there running and stuff. And so this state trooper, I can't think of his name. I got it. So the, the, you hear the dogs. We're going to turn the dog loose. And so they get down there. And about two minutes later, the guy's there on his back in handcuffs. They got the dogs around. And, the, and of course, the cops crew is following this trooper. And he looks down at the guy. Guy's on his back in handcuffs, cops around him, a dog, you know, yelling at him. He goes, you're under arrest. The guy looks at him just calmly and coolly says, yeah, I kind of figured that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. TV, but to your point, we go from the OJ trial or whatever else, cameras change behavior of people. Yes. Yes. And it it was a fascinating thing to be a part of, um, you know, not just from our participant perspective, but from a training perspective. And uh, to just watch behavior and watch the behavior of my my fellow personnel and and things like that. And some of the some of the people on my agency absolutely hated it. They they wouldn't sign the waivers. They hated when the camera crew showed up. They hated when they would see the camera crew in the station. And uh, and it was uh, it it caused a lot of consternation um, ultimately. But uh, but it sure put Naperville on the map. You know, that, that brings attention to a professional police department and what's going on, what really goes on. I mean, that's why Game of Crimes is so professional and, and so exactly. popular. People want to hear the inside stories. <laughs> exactly. Well, look at this. I can tell you, I ran into the uh, uh, commissioner of the Alaska State Troopers, and when they started putting that on Nat Geo, they got all sorts of people applying. Now, the biggest problem was you'd get some guys from the east, like New York, come out there and like, I got to be in what village for three years? Yeah, you're yeah, right. right. Yeah. My, yeah, my backup is going to take four days. What? Yeah. <laughs> my sled dog by mushing, you know, exactly. you know, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. Hey, players, that is the end of part one. Part two comes out, as always, on Tuesday. In the meantime, go check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. Also, go check out our website, GameofCrimesPodcast.com. We've got a lot more information there, including our book list. Any book written by our guests will be listed there. 
In the meantime, go check us out also, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. It's where we put a lot more content you won't hear on our regular podcast. We go into a lot more topics, and folks, it is a lot of fun. So go check us out, patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, everybody stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow for part two.